You're listening to KFI AM 640, The Bill Handel Show On Demand on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. And some of the top stories we are covering. Another storm coming in starting tomorrow. uh, And it's mainly tomorrow and then through Saturday. I'll tell you where it's going to be horrible. Up north. More snow, if you can believe that. Just completely crazy. And... Uh, The president is going to be, what, Monterey Park? Is that it today? So for those of you in Monterey Park, enjoy uh, the traffic and enjoy the uh, number of cops that are going to be around. It's it's always horrible when the president arrives. Last night I was listening to uh, Mo, and uh, he was uh, in real time covering the story of the police officers uh, and the shooting in Lincoln Heights. And I didn't get to listen to the rest of it because I have this uh, pesky habit of trying to sleep uh, so I can do the show in the morning. Steve Gregory, of course, who covers uh, this sort of thing, and I think better than anybody. Uh, I don't know why I say that because, uh, you know, I, I don't know either. I have a contract, so, I, you know, I don't have to. You don't to. have to be nice to me. No, I don't. You don't have to be complimentary. You don't I know, have to say I don't anything. Get, I, don't, I don't. Well, sometimes I'm not, Steve. Uh, but to, you well, know. if it's not you, John and Ken will make up for it. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, Steve. Uh, so good what, morning. Uh, good morning. So uh, tell us what happened uh, yesterday. Yeah. So let's look at the timeline. Uh, when I got the call and got down there, this incident had already happened in the Lincoln Heights area. Uh, it started early yesterday afternoon, uh, around three thirty, three fifty. It would appear that there might have been a narcotics unit surveilling a parolee at large, and that's just a fancy way of saying someone who broke their parole. So they were surveilling this guy, and somewhere along the way, gunfire happened. Uh, and they, they're not sure if it was this guy or somebody else, but gunfire was heard in the area. So officers get on the scene, not the, not the initial uh, detectives that might have been surveilling him, but these officers get on scene. And, and when, Hold on, and that's simply because it was a report that someone heard gunfire. gunfire. Okay. Correct. So they show up, then they start getting more intel, and then when they communicate with the, the surveillance team and realize that, you know, this is a parolee at large, then their posture changes, and then they know they're dealing with potentially deadly suspect. So when they approach, this guy retreats into a shed. And while he's in there, you know, officers are trying to get him to come out. Well, they, he doesn't. So these guys call for a canine unit, and the canine unit shows up, officers from the canine unit. Canines can be very effective in this kind of operation. Well, the guy still refused to come out. So they shoot in tear gas. Well, typically, someone would be uh, sort of neutralized, if you will, from tear gas. It's pretty hefty stuff. But in this particular case, he opened the door, and instead of coming out, he opened fire. And at that point, three officers were struck. It's not clear whether those officers are the ones that returned fire, because officers did shoot back, but it's not clear if those are the same officers that were also hit. So he retreats back into the shed. Those officers go down. They're taken to a hospital. At that point, it escalates, and they call in SWAT from Metro Division. SWAT gets there, and they do what they always do, set up perimeter, assess. They uh, deploy a couple robots, and one of the robots eventually gets in there and then sees the body dead on the floor. And then that's when they declared code four, all clear, and then they get in there and they secure the scene. Okay, so uh, obviously a couple of questions. Uh, Number one, have not yet heard whether it was self-inflicted. Right, and that was the big question. And, uh, you know, a, a sidebar to this and a component that was happening, was kind of, it's kind of an important part, is the lack of information we got from the LAPD 
Um, we all, those of us have been doing this for many, many years, understand the fluidity of these types of incidents. But um, we were told to stage in one area, and we all showed up there. Then we, to- we were told to move to another area, which was far away from the scene. And then we stood there and waited. And that's when I was going on with Mo Kelly last night. And um, so we weren't getting any information. And uh, it was getting very complicated. And then it, out of nowhere, completely unannounced, there was a press conference down at the hospital. And that's usually the tradition when you've got an injured firefighter or an injured police officer or deputy, they usually do some sort of a briefing at the hospital. So it wasn't that we weren't expecting it. It was just that we weren't given a heads up about it. All right. So you have three police officers. Uh, it's been reported that uh, none of the injuries, uh, well, that the, uh, they're going to survive. And that is uh, terrific news. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That is absolutely wonderful. Uh, so all kinds of questions. Uh, the tear gas in, in a small shed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is overwhelming. I mean, no one can stay in there. Even for, in a large room. Yeah, I mean, it's area. just, it's crazy. So uh, I'm assuming he opens the door. Do we know how close the cops no. were or what kind of weapon he has? Because if he's shooting three officers before getting shot, it had to be some uh, weapon that had, well, a, a, a semi or an automatic weapon. Well, we don't know how many shots he fired. We don't know if it was a handgun. We don't know if it's a rifle. I asked that question at last night's uh, press conference, and uh, they said it, they didn't have any information on the weapon, which was unusual to me because at least when they go in to get to the scene and clear the scene and secure it, uh, if he shot himself in the head, let's say, then there should be a gun pretty close to him. Um, and and would I, they have reported that? Usually, some, would they report? Sometimes that? they do. Sometimes they don't. You know, it. I don't know what the particulars were about this last night. Again, as I, before the break, uh, getting information about this incident last night was a a huge, colossal challenge. Why? Don't know have no idea yet. I've been trying to figure it out in my head why uh, the best I can come up with is the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. And that, is that unusual for the LAPD? Because they have a pretty sophisticated... Yeah. Uh, you know, I was very surprised, as my as were my colleagues last night. Uh, we were left to stand in a parking lot of a swimming pool at Lincoln Park. And we were there for, mm, I think, an hour and a half. And with re- repeated phone calls to officials, uh, why aren't we getting anything? We were told to go there. Um, and then we were given five minutes notice about the press conference at the hospital. And, uh, it was, it was really, it was poorly executed and I'm not sure why, uh, but that's one of the reasons why we couldn't get good information out to the public. Now they, you know, the, the standard response is always, well, you know, we weren't really clear. And I said, well, you knew enough to talk to us. Uh, they've always got something they can tell us. And, uh, but then when we are all standing there and then, you know, my colleagues in the television side, we walk over and we're watching this press conference from the hospital. And the, what are the first things I see? Politicians. So we were being held off because Karen Bass and Kevin DeLeon had to show up. Now I get it. Chief Al Labrada, uh, he's a great, uh, he's a great police officer. Uh, well, he's assistant chief, but, um, you know, he's going to have the pertinent information. But to wait and to hold us off and then to put us aside so that two elected officials could be there to offer nothing to this dialogue, by the way. There was nothing they offered to this narrative that couldn't have come from the LAPD. And uh, so usually these press conferences, when it's talking about uh, particularly police officers uh, being shot, because that is big news and everybody is praying that the officers are going to be okay. 
usually it's doctors that first come out. Isn't, isn't that correct? Sure. Usually a doctor will come out, absolutely, and they'll give us an assessment of the injuries. In this particular case, we already knew that the officers were, you know, the, the injuries were serious in nature, but they were stable and nothing, nothing was life-threatening. And so we already knew that. So it didn't rise to the level of necessarily having a doctor come out and explain the wounds uh, because if it had been more serious and more severe, we probably would have had a surgeon come out and talk about it. If any of them had to go into some sort of emergency surgery, which I don't believe any of them had to. Um, but this is, this goes back to my point. It's like, so we're all standing there in this parking lot that had been waiting for an hour and a half uh, with absolutely no information. And we were closest to the scene. Uh, but, and then even a lot of the outlets I was with last night couldn't get crews down there to the hospital because they didn't know about it. There was no warning. Uh, so, and the, and whatever warning we got was very short. So it was, it was a, uh, it was poorly executed. Yeah. Uh, your pet peeve, of course, politicians showing up, uh, and particularly cause you're at these press conferences. No, no, I know how much it drives you nuts. Now I'll, I'll put the question out there. If anyone can show me empirical data where members of the public all of a sudden are, are, I don't want to say swooning, but all of a sudden are impacted positively by the appearance of an elected official at something like this. I'd love to hear about it. Um, but we have plenty of evidence on the other side to show that no one wants to hear from a politician in a time of an active situation. The experts are the ones we want to hear from. It's the same thing with fire. For, for the love of God, why do we have to have politicians parading up there, thanking firefighters for doing the job they were hired to do. Not just firefighters, thanking all of the agencies that have anything to do with it. And and let me tell you exactly why they do it. I mean, this is exactly the bottom line. Politics. Ass kissing. That's really all it boils down to. Yeah, just getting out. uh, It's free publicity for them. No, no, no. The agencies allow them to do that because... They, that's showing them playing nice with their elected officials. Well, yeah, the elected officials fund the agencies. No, they don't. We do. What do you mean? Taxpayers. Oh, no, I understand. No, 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 no. That's an, that's an important distinction. The politicians, so when I had the same situation with Cal Fire one year, I came out and I said, so just so I'm clear here, if you don't let assembly person so-and-so speak at this press conference today, do you think they're going to withhold funding from Cal Fire next year? Is that what you're saying? Well, certainly the Board of Supervisors and the Sheriff's Department. Uh, when I, I dare one politician in this town or anywhere okay. across the country to withhold funding from an All agency right. because they weren't allowed to go up there and stroke their ego. So who makes a decision as to who is at a press conference? Well, first of all, it'll be the lead agency. So in this case, if it was LAPD, LAPD is setting everything up. Now, two things would happen. LAPD will reach out to the mayor's office and say, hey, do you want to show up and speak? You know air quotes, so, you know, we're playing nice here. Or a lot of times in these press conferences, and we saw it with the L.A. Fire Department one year, where we were ready to get information about the station fire. Remember the the largest fire at the time in the county? And we were ready to go. And 10 minutes before the top of the hour for the press conference, they came over and told us, oh, we're going to have to wait. Why? Well, why? Well, we got to wait for the mayor. What do you mean we got to wait for the mayor? And we had to sit there and wait another 20 minutes for the mayor to get there. The mayor just kind of saddles up casually, smiling and waving to everybody and comes up and says, are you guys ready? And we all hollered, we've been ready. So let me tell you something. They bring nothing to the table. All right. So uh, back to the story. Uh, No, I want to keep talking about this. Okay. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) 
that's fine. So back to the story. Uh, we don't know how uh, close the police officers, uh, were they effectively raiding uh, the building? Were they no, moving into the building? They, they were trying to get this guy to comply. And, um, and again, they, they did not take an aggressive posture other than to launch the tear gas. What had happened is when they opened the door, they assumed, I, I, I assume they presumed that this man was about to surrender because that's typically what people do right. when they've just had tear gas thrown at him, you know. So, but instead of him coming out peacefully and surrendering, he comes out shooting. Comes out shooting. Got it. So they were just waiting in sort of a, a, a okay. for a little bit away. I'm, I'm assuming that, um, that they knew that, that they were hoping this guy was going to surrender. All right, Steve, you're going to be back tomorrow with your normal segment. I and... think we're going to keep doing the segment on, you know, press conferences. I think we need to do more <laughs> about that tomorrow. We'll do that. We'll have a press conference about press conferences. <laughs> uh, Thanks, buddy. All right, uh, take care. I, I'm going to move uh, the Ukraine issue in our manufacturing, uh, the our pro- prowess and our problems to next segment because – uh, what's going on is that the storm is coming again. For us, the Pineapple Express, uh, which means we're going to get rain. And uh, what, did, what did you say, Jennifer? Three quarters to one inch of rain here in Southern California? Three quarters to an inch and a half okay. between Friday and Saturday. All right. I mean, that's a substantial rain, but nothing like what's going up up in uh, Northern California, where it's going to be snow on top of snow. Now, San Bernardino, that story is still going on big time. And uh, as of a couple of days ago, uh, the authorities, we heard from uh, the first responders, the sheriff's department and the fire department, that there was one fatality, and it had to do with an accident on the road where someone was out driving. Well, it turns out that now we're looking at 12 fatalities. Now, the authorities have not told us those are specifically related to the storm, but the neighbors of these people, the family members of these people said they finally were able to get to the homes, and there they were. There was uh, an aunt, uh, a sister-in-law, a neighbor, a friend, dead. Uh, they discovered inside the home. And I'm going to sneeze. Excuse me. Bless you. Okay. Oh, I was able to do the button correctly. That was very good. Okay, very strong. Usually I miss it. And you hear the back end of the sneeze. In any case, they found uh, their neighbors uh, and uh, family members dead. And what had happened is uh, that there simply was no food because they couldn't get any. There was uh, you know, one of the stores, one store in Crestline was open, and uh, there were volunteers. There were some stories of gouging, too. But uh, there is, uh, I still think uh, there are centers, various places where food is being distributed, obviously, on a, a free basis, and water is being distributed. And uh, the problem was, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, the, the big issue here is uh, the fact that we know people were going to die. You have to. When you have two weeks of snow and no one can get up and you have someone elderly, in one case it was someone that had to uh, need a dialysis three days a week and uh, could not get uh, the machine, couldn't get down the hill uh, because uh, the uh, the entire area was snowbound. There's no question that they're going to find even more people who have died. People who have no family members, uh, loners. Remember, this is up in the mountains. And uh, there are people that are hermits up there 
that just don't want to be bothered, that want to live by themselves, uh, don't have family, not really connected to anybody, and they're going to find them as they're going to go door to door. And then the big controversy, what's going on is, number one, you're going to find more people uh, that have died as a result of uh, being locked into their homes with no power and no heat, no food, uh, no water, is uh, that uh, the uh, accusations that the authorities just didn't do enough. You could have done more. And uh, Jennifer and I were talking, going, what more could they do? They were using every snow plow. I'm assuming they were bringing in every piece of equipment they could from uh, the— oh, they, had, they contracted with private companies. Yeah. They had the, um, you know, correctional department up there, Cal Fire. I mean, you name yeah. it. And but the, but the residents are really upset uh, because uh, I'll tell you the only accusation that makes any sense whatsoever, and then the rest of it I think is ridiculous, and that is you didn't have enough equipment out there, you didn't move quickly enough, you shouldn't have put the snow on the sides of the roads, even though the snow was already eight feet deep, uh, and where it's going to go, that would you buy dump trucks and move it outside, is that the, the main accusation that actually resonates is they didn't plan. They knew the massive storm was coming and they didn't anticipate it. And that may be true. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm uh, not an expert in snow removal, although I do play one on radio. And I don't uh, clearly understand what kind of planning and what kind of logistics go into that. But uh, it's, if they should have known, was there any indication? This is a storm we've never had before, ever. Well, that's it. I mean, it is the first time that they've issued this type of warning. It was a blizzard, blizzard warning. for the San Bernardino yeah. Mountains. So now we have to look at what could have been done. Do you ask other agencies to send their equipment to Crestline and leave their communities without equipment? And who's going to say, sure, I don't have a problem with that. Even though there's a blizzard for the entire area coming in, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take all my snow plows. Let's say I'm a city manager of a city five miles away or 10 miles away, I'll be more than happy to take my snow plows and bring them into Crestline, bring them into San Bernardino. So uh, we're going to find out more. Uh, The accusation is going to go. You think there's going to be a few hearings and investigations coming in out of this one? Just a touch. Russia has unleashed a massive missile and drone strike on major cities in the Ukraine, including Kiev and even Lvov, which is on the border right next to Poland. So uh, Russia is going berserk. With that, I want to uh, share a story with you and some information because uh, Ukraine is getting most of its arms from the United States. And it looks like there's a softening of uh, the support, especially among Republicans in Congress saying, uh, we don't want to keep on going at this level. The point is, we may not be able to go at this level. Because here's what's going on. We were and have been in a peacetime army position, production. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, the wars that have been fought since 9-11 are really counterinsurgency. They're not conventional warfare. And so the production of uh, military military goods, uh, tanks, uh, missiles, etc., is... It's not great. Let me give you a stat, which kind of, you know, stunned me a little bit. Uh, U.S. pre-war production, we're talking about pre-Ukraine war. Uh, We were manufacturing 14,000, give or take, 
155 millimeter rounds a month. That's used in uh, the artillery pieces for the most part. That's the major part. 14,000 a month. The Ukrainian military is firing 7,700 artillery shells a day, which means uh, it takes, uh, we ha- they're spending for two days everything we manufacture in one month. So what, what is going on? Well, we're not there. We didn't anticipate this. It came out of the blue. We are producing the arms uh, because even though we're not involved in the war, uh, the Russians are saying this is basically a proxy war, and it really is without uh, conventional forces of ours. We don't have boots on the ground, but we sir, are supplying all the military equipment, and we're not up to it. Because uh, where most of the military equipment is coming from is from stockpiles that the Pentagon already has. I mean, to manufacture an artillery piece uh, takes a long time. If you're doubling or tripling production, I mean, that is a ramp up. And so the analogy I'm going to make, and remember I told you it was going to be an analogy, is what we did during World War II. And it was probably one of the most extraordinary manufacturing stories uh, literally in the in human history. So uh, the United States prior to World War II was not uh, in a, a position militarily. Uh, prior to World War II, uh, there was a whole political movement, American firsters, to stay out of the war. Winston, uh, remember, I've been telling you Winston Churchill was begging F- FDR to get in the war. He couldn't. He couldn't because the strength of the stay out of the war crowd, American firsters, Charles Lindbergh and others saying, we're not going to go to war and we're not going to build equipment to go to war. Let let Europe do what it wants. We don't want to get involved. Well, of course, December uh, 7th, 1941 changed all that around and the American first movement literally disappeared overnight. So with that, how do you fight a world war? Now, keep in mind, the United States was fighting a two-front war, not only in Europe, but also in the Pacific. And what a lot of people don't know is that virtually, I would say, a third of the arms that Russia was producing were American. We were sending over the trucks. We were sending over tanks. We were sending over production. So we really had a three-front war. And we had no production equipment. We had no production that was ramping up. So what did the United States do? The United States went to a full war footing. During the war, you couldn't buy a car. You couldn't buy a refrigerator. You couldn't buy tires. You couldn't get spare parts for the cars you did have. You couldn't buy gasoline. It was rationed. Everything was rationed. Uh, So you had, for example, the Chrysler Company. Uh, right? They're not manufacturing uh, cars. They're manufacturing tanks. Uh, Boeing, the B-17s. You know how many plants were producing B-17s all over the country? They were being punched out one an hour by mid-war. We'll never do that again. Uh, Politically, we wouldn't be allowed to do that. Maybe if the United States was attacked, we'd go there. But Uh, It's nothing like that. And so the Pentagon is saying, we just don't have the equipment. You are cleaning us out. Now, there are a couple of differences. First of all, uh, to ramp up production, I mean, do you really think we're not going to buy cars? 
Do you really think we're not going to buy appliances? Well, we'll never allow that to happen again. Also, to be fair, the equipment itself, manufacturing, is so sophisticated now than it was back then. And we're talking about a a fighter, a typical fighter, 300,000 parts, for example. That didn't exist. It was several thousand when you had a B-17. It was simpler. Uh, They didn't really develop new technology, which is happening every minute here. I mean, we uh, have the most sophisticated uh, armed forces in the world, uh, not only among the best trained, but certainly uh, in terms of technology and the equipment that we're producing. And so we have obviously a world-class, maybe the world-class military. But the point is, is that Ukraine is cleaning us out. And I don't say that negatively uh, because I obviously support the war. I support the, the, the war 100%. But as a matter of fact, uh, we are going through our equipment. And we don't have the ability to, uh, in fact, uh, bring it back. We don't have the ability to supply what we need to bring us back to pre-war levels. You know, once again, uh, we send over our artillery. The Ukrainians are going through 7,700 rounds a day, and we're producing 14,000 a month. Now, is that ramping up? Yes, but it takes takes a while. Uh, the only thing that I guess is positive, if you will, it's going to be a war of attrition. It's going to be a very long war giving the United States uh, the ability to ramp up production. Are we going to do it the same way we did it in World War II? That's impossible. We'll never. The country will never go on a war footing, ever. Uh, again, no matter what. All right, time for uh, it's business time. Jason Middleton, Jason Heard as an anchor here on KFI, and Sundays from two to three with his business show. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Bill. Okay, let's start with the uh, jobs report, which uh, is uh, well, it's sort of up in the air. People being laid off, you know, serious, just cutting eight percent of the workforce. More and more companies laying right. off, and still. Uh, they can't get enough people in exactly. certain sectors. So what is going on? Because this is weird. Labor Department is WRIS right now, right? It is, it's jamming. You've got uh, keyword headlines like SiriusXM, General Motors this morning also cutting salaried white-collar jobs. Uh, a lot of the tech uh, companies, we were talking about Meta recently. Of course, last year, Mark Zuckerberg said Meta was not going to cut any more jobs. Uh, just kidding. We're going to cut more jobs. Uh, this is the year of efficiency for Meta. Some of this has to do with automation. Honestly, and some of it has Wait, to do with people getting fat during the yeah. uh, during the pandemic. Now, hang on. Uh, White-collar jobs, right? automation doesn't necessarily connect. By the way, do you know uh, how uh, they do the census in Yemen and Somalia? No. It's uh, white cholera or blue cholera. Oh. Uh, had to do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. That was just— Yeah, a, I had to do that. that. Was a fastball over the middle yeah, of the plate. Ha- had to do the, that joke. Uh, All right, but why is it that uh, automation—how does that affect white-collar management jobs? Well, some of it has to do with HR resources like Workday and are getting better and smarter. Those algorithms are getting better and smarter at managing more people. People added a lot around the middle. Comp- comp- corporations added a lot around the middle. Well, I guess people did, too, during the pandemic— and that's got to be trimmed down as well. Get right-sized is a lot of what this is. And the efficiencies around Meta, I don't think people are as, as worried about. I don't think Mark has figured out that he is a gaming company. When he does, he'll figure it out. He'll probably rehire some of those types. A lot of those tech layoffs, by the way, that you hear about, the 8,000 here, the 5,000 here, a lot of those never have to go to the unemployment line. They never show up in labor data because somebody else is hiring them immediately. 
So there's not a big impact there. A lot of what we're seeing is what they consider the lower paying jobs are still hard to fill. I read in the Minneapolis Fed, there was a note that a Montana construction firm is flying construction workers in on private jets to do their projects. That's how tight that market is. Uh, when you talk about manufacturing, for example, everybody looks at cars sure. uh, being manufactured with robotics and all that. How much more technology to reduce labor can you go? When does it become sort of a marginal return? Say they've pretty well done it all. It sure seems like it, doesn't it? It seems like the envelope is pretty closed on that. I mean, if you're looking for a profit margin, you can't look at the manufacturing floor very much anymore. Now, there might be a black swan event where some breakthrough technology and AI could be that. But until that, you're right. That one's a little tight. Uh, but fiscal costs and things are, are as about as efficient as they can get. And using the efficiency word is also means like less jobs. But know. what what company hasn't literally gone down to the bone? And I use here uh, iHeart, uh, which uh, is a pretty successful company. And uh, when I look at the cost cutting they have done, like many other companies, I go, how much more can you go? It's, well, they're 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 continuing to find it, and let's not talk too loud about that, Bill, because I saw a headline this week where ChatGPT is coming up with radio hosts that are artificially intelligent that can replace live radio hosts. So moving right on to other areas of the economy. Um, no, it's fine. I, well, I mean, look, it's it's a real thing. AI is coming. Is oh coming yeah, there's a great things. story about that. I just saw something. Uh, my daughter just showed me where it was uh, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and Barack Obama having a conversation, and it's their voice. And yeah. I mean, what came out of that, uh, the curse words, uh, <laughs> the attacks, I mean, it's just, you know, F you. No, no, F you. I yeah. mean, it's just, it was crazy, and you couldn't tell the difference. Well, it's a ro- it, well, it, there's a macro thing there, too. It's eroding trust in social norms and right. institutions and things, and we have to get readjusted to that. To your point about margins, though, um, it's, this is one of the reasons why, and this is a good segue into the JetBlue Spirit Airlines thing, right? Because the airlines are a very, um, low margin business as an industry. They also have a high physical cost. You have to, you have to buy those things. Uh, the JetBlue Spirit Airlines merger, the Justice Department, uh, is looking to sue it. Hey, I have a question. Yeah. I thought you needed the permission of uh, the government to merge two big companies, or the no, answer no. is you just merge well, and then you're fighting a lawsuit. You put, you put your proposals together and then it has to go through certain, like the SEC, the FTC, right. and, and, and the, usually the FTC is where it gets flagged. And then the DOJ gets involved. This goes back to a plank in the Biden platform. Uh, the, the mergers and acquisitions pursuits by the Department of Justice just this year is up 123% from last year. This is a focus for them for policy reasons. They are trying to drift away from oligopolies and whatnot. Now, uh, the reason that, that JetBlue and Spirit Airlines, they say it's going to be is going to hurt the ultimate consumer, which it could be true. Uh, but since the late 70s, I think it was 78 when when airlines you know decommissioned that it was no longer controlled. Uh, we've we've seen this contraction within this space and they seem to have survived. Now, of course, you have you have American Southwest Delta United. Those are the big four. If you put JetBlue and Spirit together, their market share becomes 10.2%, which is good enough for fifth place. So they have, they'd have fifth place yeah. in market share, but even fewer planes than Alaska Airlines. So, so let me ask, uh, because what ends up happening is, for example, if you're going to go from A to B, <clears throat> and there's one airline that goes, for example, there's one airline that goes to Mammoth yeah. uh, during the winter. Mm-hmm. Just one. It's a little puddle jumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 400 bucks back and forth. 
for a 12 minute flight. Right. Because that's it. Now, you go you want to go to New York? Uh sometimes paying 250 bucks round trip. That's right. Versus $400. Uh, it's doesn't this just smell like it's going in that direction because uh, you have uh, you know, if you're consolidating, you no longer have two airlines uh, that are fighting each other for a given market. It's now just one, which means once they get a monopoly. Now, we're not talking about big picture monopoly yeah, in the entire you. industry. Right. I'm talking about going from here to Peoria. Right. It's possible. I, I think that I think there's something we have to pull out just a little bit farther, because if, if this doesn't happen, if JetBlue and Spirit don't get together, then one of the three, JetBlue, Frontier or Spirit, will go away. There's not enough there for the low-cost fares to keep it afloat because the margins are so tight on these low-fare airlines, which I think is why the Biden administration stepped in. A couple of weeks ago, we were going to talk about the Albertsons-Kroger's deal, yeah, uh, but we didn't because we didn't have a legal hook just yet. But uh, during that research, I saw stark low margins, high physical costs, such as assets like you know real estate, um, labor costs with unions and whatnot, and then price competitions. It's, it's exactly the same thing. So if the Biden administration is going to come in here for JetBlue versus Spirit, um, then they're going to be coming after Albertsons Kroger's as well, even harder. And JetBlue is, is jockeying for position. And don't forget, they, they did that merger with uh, American, and that is still not had been adjudicated yet. So that, that deal that they made two years ago is still being talked about. So I, I don't know if this is going anywhere anytime fast, but I do think this is a, a little bit of a not, a, not a grandstand at all, but it is a political play to, to defend the policy of the Biden administration. At the same time, JetBlue is, is offering almost 100% more than what Spirit's worth right now, and the shareholders might like that. No. So. And yeah, that's the other thing. Whenever uh, there is a merger, one uh, acquires the other one. It's good to be a shareholder of the company that is being acquired. Uh, that's it's it's hard for shareholders to say no uh, when you're getting that much of a premium. Well, premium. Because JetBlue came at Spirit so hard that if they said, "Look, management at Spirit, if you don't like this deal, we'll go straight to your shareholders and we'll have a we'll have a proxy and we'll have a vote." And you know the shareholders are going to come in if they're going to make eighty five percent in one fell right. swoop. Right, hostile takeover basically. Yeah, basically, yes, yeah. yes. All right, uh, interest rate hikes, because that affects all of us, because, of course, that has to do with inflation. And I thought inflation, it was going, it was coming down, and it was coming down uh, exactly the way the Feds wanted. And then all of a sudden, it's, wait a minute, it's flattening out. So what's going on with the rate hikes and Powell and well, inflation? Well, the first of all, this week, Jay Powell on Capitol Hill changed his tone. He's more hawkish for sure. Okay. He's the head of the Fed, by He's the way. He's the head of the Fed. Yeah. yeah, sorry. He's the head of the Fed, and twice a year he has to go on Capitol Hill and defend the policy of the Fed. This time he he came in a little bit hotter than usual. Yeah, we're going to have to keep going up because inflation is not coming down as fast as we wanted. I think what happened was the data came in in December showing a pretty nice precipitous decline, and then it didn't in January. And so then they have to go back up. Now, it's, now the, the guess is what's the peak? And that's what the markets are trying to price in. So yesterday when you saw the markets drop off, it was because everybody's like, well, these could go to 6% as opposed to 5.25%, which is what we have baked in. I think it's probably going to go closer to 6%. It's going to be 5.75%, if not 6 flat by the end of this year. This month, uh, what's today? So in about a week, uh, the Fed's going to decide, is it going to go up 0.25% or up 0.5%? Uh, say it goes up 0.5%. Uh, and uh, what was it a couple of weeks ago, or not even a few days ago, when there was talk of uh, the Fed going up like this? 
uh, the, uh, the, the Dow dropped 700 points. Yeah, I was on the air with you. Uh, yeah, I mean. Or with Gary and Shannon. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, the, the problem is when you or any uh, uh, analyst says this is the market reacting, I mean, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Right. The market reacting to A and then they're reacting to B and you try to put it together and go, how is that possible? Some of it has to do with algorithmic trading. So when the new inputs come in from the fresh data that the Fed is responding to, then you get the robots kind of responding. And that's kind of like a, I don't want to use the word hedge. It, it's kind of like a, kind of a blind spot that the banks don't want to have to worry about. So that covers their A on that. Then you have people who are ex highly exposed to risk, who are into the smaller cap stops that, that flow up and down a lot. That happens. Uh, so when people start moving their money out of those risk on stocks towards risk off stocks or into bonds, that money's leaving the market. That's where you see the negatives. All right. Uh, so Sundays from 2 to 3 p.m., uh, the infamous Jason Middleton. And, of course, uh, you're all over the place as an anchor uh, here on KFI. Absolutely. All right. We'll catch you over the weekend. Thanks, Bill. Now, it's time for Musings with Mo. Mo Kelly heard every evening here on KFI, 7 to 10 p.m. Good morning, Mo. Good morning, Mr. Handel. Uh, yes, sir. Oscars coming up this weekend. That's another thing. You sure want to go around Hollywood uh, during Oscars week. Oh, it's just a joy, especially Oscars night. Unless you're driving a limousine, then you get insane amount of money. Uh, but let me ask this, uh, Mo, and uh, maybe it's just me. Uh, I'm caring less and less about the Oscars every single year. Uh, I don't go to movies anymore. I watch everything at home, and I'm just uh, just not that interested. Is that going on across uh, the world here, uh, especially in the United States? Well, I, I can't say across the world, but definitely in the United States. There are fewer movies which are in movie theaters, and, and there are fewer people going to theaters, and it's very difficult for just movie theaters to stay in business. And if you look at the ratings of the Oscars and just about any award show of the past 10 years, there's been a precipitous decline in those award shows. So it's not just you. It's just about everyone else as well. Yeah, I've been thinking that. So when you talk about a precipitous decline, the Oscars are is the granddaddy of all the awards programs. It was the first one out there, still the most important one, uh, the most that's followed internationally because we want to see these movie stars uh, go up uh, on stage and uh, sound like idiots uh, unless uh, their thank yous are written for them. Um, is, uh, uh, is, are the Oscars in more or as, tr as uh, much in trouble as all the other awards, the People's Award, uh, the, ch the Grandkids Award, you know, all of those they, awards. I'm just trying to think of all the crazy names for awards, and I can't even think of so – there's so many of them. Well, the Oscars are still the granddaddy of them all. They have the most cachet. They have the most importance in the industry. But the Oscars, just like every other um, award organization, they are dependent upon the TV show apparatus to bring in revenue. And until they figure out a way to uh, create some other vehicle, then I think it's still just going to be a sliding scale and diminishing returns because there is no reason for the average individual to stay tuned or stay uh, watching a program which is three hours long, which is really not for the viewer. It's for the people in the room. We don't get anything out of the Oscars. We don't get to learn anything more about these actors or actresses that we didn't already know. And I think that's due in large part to social media and also our declining attention spans. We don't want to watch something for three hours long. We're lucky if we get three minutes long as far as attention span. Yeah. Also just the way, 
and I don't know if they can control it. I don't think they can. But you have uh, some actor or actress, if you want me to be sexist and uh, separate out the races, uh, or excuse me, the genders. And uh, all you hear is, I want to thank my agent. I want to thank uh, my manager. I want to thank the producers and go through a whole list of names that no one could ever care about. And you would think that that would change. I know they're trying to keep it for 30 seconds or a minute or a minute and a half, but you can't control these people. No, and, and that's part of the reason why, uh, again, it's about the people in the room, not the people watching. Now, me personally, I find it refreshing where I get to hear an off-the-cuff speech or very sincere speech about someone's travails and trials and tribulations, the, the path which that he or her, uh, she made to that moment. That says far more to me than thanking all the people in, in the room. And I understand why they do it because – you know, the agent is the person who helps get the next gig or the publicist is the person who helped make that person so popular to even be in a, in a consideration for an Oscar. I get all that behind the scenes stuff. But as far as a, a television entity and property, it's boring as hell. Yeah, I used to watch uh, the Oscars. I was fairly religious about it, uh, obviously, many years ago, because and I think like uh, many other people, uh Movie stars, we never see uh, them except on the screen, uh, and they have this uh, this cachet. And during the Oscars, we see they're real people, uh, except that they're, as I said, uh, they just the, these speeches come out and they drive everybody completely nuts. Uh, Chris Rock and his Netflix special. And uh, how they milked it, both Chris uh, and Netflix, with a live performance. Had to do that because uh, if he had recorded it, it would all leak what he was going to say. Uh, that was, I think it was Netflix's first live uh, uh, broadcast for a comedy program, if I'm not mistaken. How did you think Chris Rock handled it? I think he handled it from a business standpoint perfectly. He did not let any of his true feelings slip out. He kind of obliquely referenced it over the past year as far as what he felt about the slap, but he didn't do any real material in earnest. And then he waited for the right situation, I, I suppose the right deal. And I heard that he was played somewhere around $40 million for that live uh, live special He was on paid $40 million for one special? Not only one special, one hour. His other specials are longer than that. It was only one hour, and he did about eight minutes on Will wow. Smith. Yeah. I, by the way, just in reference to people that uh, are not paying attention, particularly, it was the slap at the Oscars. Will Smith uh, slapped him right there. And, of course, it's live. Uh, and it was Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, Will Smith's wife, uh, who Chris Rock made fun of. And not particularly a lot of fun. I mean, it was just I thought it was not that bad a jibe. Uh so uh, do you think he handled it with any kind of class? I didn't. He took the high road when he was slapped, and then he went right into let's rip into people and sort of bring it down to sort of a low denominator. I put myself in his shoes in a literal sense. If I were slapped on international TV and I were the butt of jokes for the course of a year, I'm not so sure. We talked about that, about this in a, in a physical sense. I don't think I would have let the moment pass without a physical response. But since he did, I think that he earned the right, if there's such a thing, earned the right to be able to handle it however he wants. He got paid in a way that no one else would have. And was it his best special? Not even close. That wasn't his best material ever. I mean, that, 
I've seen it, three other specials, I think, off the top of my head, which were better than that in, in a content sense. But as far as classy or whatever, I don't think he was going for classy. I think he was going to, to put Will Smith's persona in the dirt. And I think he was successful in that. And I don't, I don't think at this point in his career, he really, he really is concerned with what people think about him. He wanted to have his say. He had it on his own terms. He got paid very nicely for it. So as far as I'm concerned, content, material or not, it was a win for him. Mm. And the only reason I bring that up is when it happened live, when Will Smith came up on stage and gave him a really healthy slap, the way he reacted, not in any anger, just went, whoa, just sort of surprise, and then went on. I mean, I don't think anybody could have handled it in a classier manner, and I was hoping that would extend, at least for that. And just mention, uh, because he got the audience anyway, uh, and, uh, you know, I think it would have been given kudos, but, you know, maybe not. I, I'm not particularly a, a huge Chris Rock fan, but I'll tell you what I'm a huge fan of, and that's worldwide wrestling, uh, WWE uh, Vince McMahon, I think, uh, owned that. Uh, if he still does, and uh, he's in negotiations uh, and considering allowing betting on scripted matches. Now, it was that uh, because of lawsuits, uh, WWE had to say this is exhibition. This isn't real sport, which they thought they would. I, this reminds me, if you're betting, and the way they're going to do it is we're not gonna, they're not going to tell anybody who wins the match, even though they figured out who's going to uh, win in the, in, uh, the beginning. Um, this is like rock, paper, scissors without the scissors. You only have one or two ways to go. It's a flip of a coin. How are if people going to bet on that? Well, here's the thing. As ridiculous as it may sound, there is precedent. You can right now, going back to our Oscars discussion, you can bet on the results of the Oscars, even though those results are already known by a number of people within a Price Waterhouse, uh, the accounting firm. Here with WWE, they're negotiating with the states of Colorado and Michigan and also with Ernst & Young accounting firm arguing, I don't buy the argument, but I'm saying there's precedent here, arguing that they can keep the results of these matches secret from the general public, and therefore betting would be safe to do. I don't, I don't buy the argument, but yeah, that's no, what I saying. do. I do. I think uh, it can be, uh, especially if you're talking about uh, the betting control by Ernst and Young, because they do a pretty good job with the um, with the Oscars. Uh, that information is not known, and so I'm, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they are able to keep it secret. Explain to me how this is not just a flip of a coin. Basically, you sit there and just uh, bet your friend heads or tails. Well, you could have what they have prop bets, and you could bet where in, in wrestling they have what they're called falls. In other words, if you're pinned, if you could, it, it, will, it will be will it be after the first fall or the second fall or the third pin attempt? You could have prop bets, or whether it will be by a chair or a foreign object, things of that nature. Whether it be a controversy, whether it be a, a third party who'll jump in the ring, there are prop bets that you could oh, make. All right, so basically, you're betting on which way a scripted program is going to go. Uh, right. And by the way, I don't know how scripted it is. Is every fall, uh, is every chair that's thrown at someone's head, is every, I don't even know what the terms are, grand slams, uh, are those all scripted to where it's blocking that happens beforehand? Yes. 
Yes, because that's the only way you can ensure someone doesn't get killed in the ring with a lot of these stunts. Less so in previous years, it was more free-flowing. But now with these stunts off the top rope and, and what have you and, and, the, and the intricate, I would say, gymnastics of it all, there has to be a degree of scripting or someone would break their neck, which has happened before. Uh, one of the things I've always found fascinating about uh, worldwide wrestling or any kind of wrestling match is the number of people that will fill stadiums with this stuff. The fan base is just crazy. It's great storytelling. You have a hero. You have a heel. You have people that you can root for, people that you can root against. And it's a storyline just like any other soap opera, which may go across months in nature, and it comes to a climax at maybe WrestleMania or SummerSlam okay. or something like that. Fair enough. That resonates. All right, my friend. Uh, tonight, 7 to 10, uh, every weeknight, Mo Kelly, you have a good one. See you soon. Take care. Uh, Shannon, are you a wrestling fan? No. I, I used to be. I was in the 80s, like with Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. I was, yeah. And, you know, Andre was There was great. a twins or some twins mixed around in there sometime. Oh, yeah. My brother would watch it, you know, on Sunday yeah. mornings or what have you. Who was it uh, who, in, uh, oh, early on, uh, where I would see replays of... Uh, the uh, the wrestling black and white and uh, I forgot who the uh, guy who called him but I'll never forget whoa Nelly oh yeah he was great <laughs> he was he was great we're gonna get seventeen thousand emails giving us his name <laughs> that's true all right Keith, so Keith uh, something Keith no it something. wasn't it wasn't Keith it was something else we should ask actually oh, someone God to look it up America. all right so, we sound like my parents I know I, all right so Shannon <laughs> who was the guy with yeah. the guy the and the thing and the, and the voice <laughs> Keith uh, no it wasn't Keith <laughs> what's going on today on the Gary and Shannon show why do we know so much about Tiger Woods's love life. I mean, this guy has so many problems with the ladies, and we all know about all of the problems. I kind of feel bad for him in a way. Um, also, we will get the latest about the LAPD shooting during that corralling of the parolee. Gavin Newsom has tested positive for the COVID. Why are we still reporting on this? I don't know. And we will go live to Washington where that train company for Norfolk Southern is testifying before Congress saying they want to make it right yeah, in, in Ohio. Dick Lane. Dick Lane. You're welcome. What Thank a name. you. That's true. Whoa, Nelly. Yes, Dick Lane. All started right. with roller derby. Uh, Not oh, wrestling. Yeah, it started derby. with roller derby. Uh, roller huh. derby was In fantastic, too. I loved roller derby, especially the women roller derby. Oh, yeah. Uh, they don't mess around. No. Still don't. Oh, they were tough. Yeah. Those were tough. All right. Uh, real quickly, uh, I'm taking calls for handle on the law off the air. And uh, you can still listen to Gary and Shannon right through the phone. And I'm going to do it for about half an hour, 40 minutes. 877-520-1150. 877-520-1150. There's Shannon right there. Shannon, you guys have a good show. Thank you, sir. Uh, this is KFI AM640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You've been listening to The Bill Handel Show. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. and anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. 